0: Hello, and welcome to Centre for Mental Health's podcast, where we talk about a whole range of topics around mental health and social justice. I'm your host, Thea Joshi, and in each episode, we talk to people with lived experience, people working in a specific area of mental health, or our own team, to share what we're doing in the fight for mental health equality. The other day, I caught up with Graham Durkin, our longest-serving research director, to talk about the mental health needs of people in prison. And this is an area we've been working in for decades and we have seen some good progress but so much more still needs to be done graham talks about a new report looking at mental health services for prisoners and what still needs to change so we know that most people in prison have some form of vulnerability or needs whether that's a mental health difficulty neurodiversity or a substance misuse problem so what we explored here was this idea that prisons not only need better training, greater continuity of care, and all these other really crucial things, but also that prisons need a total cultural shift towards rehabilitation and well-being. So I'm really pleased to be here today with Dr Graham Durkin, our Associate Director of Research and Evaluation. Hello, Graham. Hi, Sia. It's so great to have you here. So um, Graham has overseen much of our research over the years, and especially into Um, mental health and criminal justice and the mental health needs of the prison population. And that's mainly what we're going to be talking about today. So we launched just last week uh, a new report called The Future of Prison Mental Health Care in England. Um, And Graham can tell us a little bit more about that. So Graham, it would be great if you could just give us a basic overview for people who don't work in this field. Um, Tell us a bit about uh, people in prison, the prison population. What are the key mental health needs that we tend to see?
1: Well, it, it's, it's probably broader than just mental health. There's a, a variety of vulnerabilities related to mental health. Um, I think we've known for ages that the vast majority majority of prisoners have sort of multiple and complex needs. And uh, if we're talking about mental health, uh, addiction, personality disorder, we're talking about the bulk of the prison population. Um, But on top of that, there's a variety of other vulnerabilities that are highly prevalent. So um they they sometimes get sort of labeled as neurodiverse conditions but we're talking about things like it, it's very likely there's a significant p- proportion of the population have got acquired brain injury so just like all these other conditions it will affect decision making behavior uh, how they think about how they think and see things um adhd you know attention deficit hyperactivity disorder uh, again, it's going to affect decision making, thinking, uh, behaviour, and we've got various learning difficulties and learning disability represented in the, pop- in, the, in the prison population as well. Autism. So there's a whole range of conditions, including all of the the, the full gamut of sort of mental health conditions. Um, you know, we will have psychosis. Perhaps five six percent of the of the overall population will have a, a you know a, a, a psychotic condition. But we're talking sort of, you know, 90% of the prison population. And and I think the, the really important thing to to bear in mind is that it's seldom one problem that they have. It's a multiplicity of problems, and that makes it all the more complex. So multiple vulnerabilities. I mean, frustratingly, when you look at um, individual problems that uh, many prisons will have, that they'll often fall just below the threshold for you know entry into a service so they can be helped for that problem but because of all the other vulnerabilities they've got uh, they tend to be really still very disadvantaged.
0: Thank you Graham that was a really helpful overview. So could you talk us through some of the main issues which are really preventing better mental health among people in prison?
1: Yeah absolutely it's a a really good question and it's obviously what our, our report is focused on and you know, towards the future, what, what can improve? I think one of the main recommendations is, is about training. Um, and it's more than just giving mental health awareness training. I think, say, for prison officers and uh, other prison staff, a really significant uh, overhaul of their training needs to take place. That, that's my view. Or oh, that well, that was the view that's come out of um, our review. Um, because I just don't think they have adequate training in the population uh, understanding the recognizing vulnerabilities and understanding what impact those vulnerabilities will have on the way that person thinks and way that person behaves all, all of that is quite important if you want to rehabilitate the person but just also for security etc uh, and it's also important around uh, improving mental well-being because uh, another big theme in the report is you can't outsource the responsibility to uh for mental well-being to the NHS you know so the NHS are in there to add expertise and add value and provide specific services etc but actually if the bulk of the population have these multiple complex vulnerabilities, then it's got to be the responsibility of the host organization, the prison. It's got to be their responsibility for overall well-being and well-being is more than about treatment. It's about an environment. So we've got some real problems in in, in some of our prisons in terms of the physical environment. Lots of old prisons that are not just not particularly conducive to sort of well-being. but I think the training thing is quite important, so significant overhaul. But I also think probably, I don't think know that anyone is particularly well trained for working in a prison, even the healthcare staff. There is not specific training, say, for nurses around prison mental health care, um, education staff, any other staff, go, any of the voluntary sector organisations ought to be a, able to access staff that just introduces them to vulnerabilities and un- knows what impact those vulnerabilities can have on the way that person thinks, feels and behaves. Other things are really important as well. Information, continuity of information, continuity of care. So people may be getting treatments for all sorts of conditions in the community that can get really disrupted when they come into prison because of failures in communication with community services, be those mental health services, GP services, hospital services. So that's a real issue. and the, and the fault is probably on both sides to a degree, you've got very small healthcare teams in, in prisons and their capacity to sort of outreach and chase information. So having, you know, bringing together information systems is really important. Um, I suppose the other big sort of thing that we pick up in the report is leaving prison. You know, we know an awful lot of people will re-offend, fail in other ways. You know, just have very difficult lives immediately upon leaving prison. So we know we've not had fully functioning um, rehabilitation probation services for quite some time. We know those are coming back into the public sector, but again, it's an upheaval, um, and so so that's a that's a real issue. Um, And there are just, you know, continuity of care. So very often, if you've you've got a a mental health problem, you probably will start to get it treated if it's a severe mental health, certainly will, you'll probably get it treated in prison. But then we talked about that issue of meeting thresholds out there in a community. Often, they won't have any care to move on to. Uh, and we found that in, in our review and, uh, and other work that we've done as well. Even even people with quite, what we'd say, quite severe mental illnesses fell below the threshold for entry, say, to a community mental health team. Now, there's positive news on the horizon. So, NHS England are currently funding a thing called Reconnect, uh, a program which will engage people before they're leaving prison, follow them through the gate, and then for a period in the community will sort of bridge them into other services etc and attempt to provide some sort of wraparound care for that for that person so they don't fail and, and fall to the wayside
0: thank you so much for that graham i think that's so important to get that overview of yeah, of needs and what what needs to be happening. I mean, the tragic thing is, is that some of it seems, it, I know it's very, very complex to actually um, roll out, but some of it seems quite obvious, you know, that people who are living with multiple vulnerabilities in prison, that the people kind of working with them, looking after them, keeping an eye on them, would have training to know how to support them. It's like, of course, that's absolutely vital, but obviously we haven't seen that for so long and um, I know we did some work a few years back um, about helping people leaving prison into work through individual placement and support and I'll link to that in our show notes Um, and what we were seeing there was that people as you say with quite severe mental health needs were getting nothing as leaving prison and then we you know that feeling of are we just setting people up to fail.
1: I'm going to add one thing if I can around sort of within prison what happens so i mean the the nhs commission's uh, mental health care services and it tries to do that at all it has a sort of what's called a stepped care type model so you know providing self-help behind guided self-help right through to providing in some places inpatient unit care and everything in between so psychological therapies etc One thing that's probably always struck us um, and it has improved is just the variability of the sort of um, the mental health offer. Um, So you'll find kind of islands of excellence in, so they'll have a really good kind of therapy service in this prison, but they don't have another element of service. And that's what we found as well. And it particularly around sort of talking therapy, psychological interventions. So, you know, the, the recommendations we're making to say, NHX England, the commissioner is around standardizing that offer of care and we're doing a second exercise a needs analysis of mental health services across the prisons which is going to do a lot more counting so there's a lot of survey work it's almost a part two to this exercise and that will help quantify that need uh, a bit more and quantify you know what what skills and teams we have to meet that need and where the gaps are
0: fantastic so i don't want to take this off on too much of a tangent graham but i noticed in the report a phrase that really stuck out to me that came through Prison Reform Trust, um, kind of this concept of prison as punishment versus prisons for punishment, and I kind of um, wonder if you could talk a bit about uh, those differences in approach and how that perhaps affects the approach to mental health care for prisoners.
1: Um, ab- absolutely, I mean it, it. It does dramatically affect the sort of well-being, uh, and also, you know, it, it affects the culture of a prison as well. So I think most people, when you sit down and and sort of talk them through things, see, will, will agree that the purpose, the punishment element of prison is the deprivation of liberty. And thereafter, what we expect our prisons to do is support people, to rehabilitate and get them on the correct path and that can be you know helping them get into appropriate treatments and things like that but also training them for work and, and educating and a variety of other things anything that's likely to get them on the sort of right path less likely to re reoffend when they leave prisons I mean and, and it's a natural reaction when we we hear about a horrible crime you, you want the you, you sort of naturally want the prison to be punishing and you know throw away the key and. Uh, and I think that's often steered by a part of our media, the sort of angry reaction type thing. Um, it can affect politicians. Um, but ultimately, it, it, what it boils down to is you can have quite a negative culture within, within, within the prison, which is not conducive to sort of rehabilitation and actually changing people, which is what we think prison should be about.
0: Thanks, Graham. That's really helpful. And I guess connected to that, we've done quite a lot of work in the past few years about trauma informed work and um trauma and we know that's a big issue in the prison population could you tell us a little bit more about about that and kind of why we're advocating a, a trauma informed psychologically informed approach
1: okay i mean interestingly this is something that's sort of quite high, highly significant sort of you know the experience of trauma both among prison staff uh, and, and and people in prison so I think you need to say, take a sort of a joined up approach, so um, in the review we found a really positive association with collaborative working with different agencies in the prison, um, a more positive attitudes and, and greater responsibility from sort of prison staff around mental well-being where there'd been sort of acceptance and training of this of sort of trauma-informed approaches, so Uh, and why do we want to do this well an awful lot of the prison population have experience of trauma Um, that's there's good research on that and that impacts their well-being every day and prisons are you know it's very difficult for a prison not to re-traumatize a person so being aware and minimizing that impact is actually going to improve someone's well-being but i also bring attention to prison staff they witness and see you know routinely quite uh, traumatic things so prisons are very violent places you know thousands of staff will will experience assaults etc and that'll have an impact on some of them for much longer than than, than others sort of and that's that's how tra- trauma affects some people more than others so i that, i think that's something that needs to be addressed as well so having you know trauma informed being aware of trauma trauma informed training for staff um yes around their own issues but also around the issues for prisoners understanding once again it's about understanding vulnerability it's about understanding how trauma can impact on some, how someone thinks and how how they behave how they react to certain situations and just being sort of armed for that with knowledge.
0: That is so helpful Graham and um, yeah we've got we've got an awful lot on our website about trauma-informed care in in different settings but it's very obvious that it is especially vital in um, in a prison setting and so yeah thank you for speaking to that I'm I'm really interested to know as you know a lay person coming to this is it that people are coming into prison with higher levels of mental health need or is it that being in prison um, really has an impact on their mental health I mean it may be both and I know that's quite a reductive question I'd love to know if there's an answer
1: the answer is yes. Uh, yeah, it's both. It's both of those things. So you'll have a significant number of people who bring their pre-existing problems with them into, into prison, uh, you know, multiple and complex needs, uh, often untreated, unrecognized initially. And for some people, the first time it gets recognized, the first treatment they get when they come into prison, which is, you know, it's sad to say that, you know, you have to come, come into prison to get treatment. Um But also, yeah, prison does have an impact on people. I mean, overall, if you get treatment, you're likely to improve. Um, But there are going to be particular groups of people, those who are in for longer, those who don't have determined sentence, where that uncertainty will will impact on them as well. Um, You know, prisons can be very violent and distressing places. We've had very high suicide rates and sort of record rates in recent years, and self harm has been really, really, really high. Now it went down initially um, during the period the, of the pandemic. However, up until that point, self harm incidents, recorded self harm, and we probably don't record everything, uh, were really, really high and had, uh, you know, achieved record levels. Um, and as I said, that prisons are very violent places. All of that can uh, impact on someone's ongoing well being. Um, you know family relationships break down when someone's in prison for any length of time people lose their jobs through coming into prison so there's lots of reasons why there can be challenges to someone's mental well-being while they're being in prison.
0: Thank you for that Graham that's a really helpful explanation and I guess it really speaks to again the need for better preventative care in the community as well because as you say it's it's quite appalling that people are only getting support for their mental health um, when they get to prison I mean that's a real flaw in in the whole system. But yeah, so thank you for that. You touched on the pandemic there. And um yeah, could you tell us a little bit more about how COVID has affected prisons and and people in them and the mental health needs of
1: them? Prisons have been dramatically affected by COVID, just just like all uh, other aspects of our life. So I mean I'll go through a list of things if you like that have happened. So prison visits stopped. And whilst, you know, there have been actions since to sort of increase access to telephone so they can have contact, you know, that, that increases the isolation and distance between family and community of people in prison. Um, prisoners have had to spend sometimes days, in, in, days on end in cell and certainly 23 hours a day. Um, the prison service rightly sought to increase... The number of uh, prisoners in single cells to reduce, um, you know, the spread of, of COVID nineteen. However, if you're locked up for more than twenty two hours a day and you're in a single cell, that's effectively under. The Mandela Rules, the sort of international rules that that's solitary confinement, solitary confinement has a dramatic impact, negative impact on mental, uh, on mental well-being. That's that's pretty well established. And the other thing, of course, were those who were uh, accessing treatments. Those treatments had to stop um, because there was a shortage of um, safety equipment, PPE. Most health services. Um, weren't able to run sort of routine treatments talking therapies things like that so eventually they you know they there were more health checks you know staff coming to doors talking to people through the hatches and things like that but those aren't exactly a replacement so some prisons a bit were very innovative so you know some cells and some prisons have telephone points so you can move a telephone unit in uh, and prisoners have cards that they can so they can make calls to a limited range of numbers normally family etc but what they did was you know added um uh, therapists to the phone card so they could then do therapy whilst they were in their cells. Um, so, you know, that's kind of great. But I think overall, the sort of digital explosion that we had out in the community just really was a lost opportunity in prisons but NHS England um, are addressing this now and have sort of purchased thousands of license uh, licenses as well as equipment that's approved to go into digital equipment tablets etc so we we can um do more digital stuff or will be able to in the future do assessments where need be um but it you know digital is one way that we might be able to broaden the therapeutic offer you'll remember i talked about earlier about the variability that uh, of um, therapeutic offers particularly around things like talking therapies well you know uh, Digital is one way that we might be able, because it doesn't matter where the therapist is, you know, they don't have to be on site there. They could be hundreds of miles away and still do the therapy. So, you know, it's a pity that we, didn't, we weren't able to do that sort of experimentation um, during the period of pandemic, but things, it's, it's, it's looking up for the future. I mean, other things to just think about, you know, prisoners not getting out of the cells, not doing any activities at all. So all of that will have had an impact on well-being. Um, We also know that uh, some racialized communities are overrepresented in the prison population. We know, too, that those racialized communities suffered more in the community, um, more infections, um, more deaths, etc. So again, we should expect the community within prison also to be affected. So there may be a greater number, a disproportionate number of, of those communities that may suffer bereavements, and maybe more of those bereavements will be what we call sort of complex grief reactions. So that's where you know generally so grief is not a mental illness; it's a it's normal human emotion after a loss. I think under normal circumstances, about seven percent of um, bereavements are are quite complex for whatever reason. And I think the pandemic, both in the community and certainly we're talking about prisons, may produce more um, complex bereavement reactions because people have not been able to have contact with loved ones, haven't been able to go to funerals, so on and so forth. So the dealing with the loss may be more difficult. Thank
0: you so much, Graham, for shedding light on that. And you were talking there about. Kind of specific groups and inequalities within the present population. And I guess um, just as in wider society, what we see is intersections of inequality and disadvantage. So there's a lot more in our report about that and looking at specific groups as well and their needs. Um, But I just wanted to ask you more broadly um, we know that you've been working in the area of sort of mental health and criminal justice for. For a number of years now um and i just wondered if you've kind of seen key changes or trends over that time
1: absolutely um and I, you know i think there's a lot to be celebrated there's been a vast improvement in health and justice services it's been very helpful over the last sort of decade to have a single commissioner for you know what goes on in courts a health commissioner for what goes on in courts um, police custody uh, and in prisons and, and across youth justice that's been really really helpful so it's just it has brought more standardization so just over a decade ago you know one of the things I would have been talking about about just how inconsistent things were different models all sorts well that, that's starting to improve so let I mean, let's just talk through some of those improvements so a hundred percent of our youth justice teams of our courts of our police custody suites now have a liaison and diversion service commissioned by nhs england Um, and that's very often an nhs organization but there are voluntary sector organizations that are a key part of that as well Um, and we know from the limited research but there is at least one study eddie kane and colleagues from nottingham that demonstrates well, that appears to demonstrate that not only does it bring sort of health and well-being benefits having liaison diversion services, but it actually reduces offending. And I think pretty much for across any age group, because we know the liaison diversion services are all age, um, and across any offending type, that that seems to be the evidence that that's come from that study. So very positive impact. It's great we've got that. It also means that increasingly better information. If someone has been screened by Liaison Diversion Service and is going to be remanded into prison then better information will come with at least some of the people coming into prison and I've noticed that in some in some areas so that was a finding in London that we we picked up on great communication or improving communication with via those Liaison Diversion Services. Um, We have a national specification for mental health care that will be be getting revised so it gets regularly revised so we so we've got a a consistent model that services sort of need to follow which is fantastic there's been an increase in mental health services across prisons now it's you know there's huge variability so there's a long way to go yet it's not all there but we we seem to think at all levels now so it is not just the severe um mentally ill but you know lots of people will fall below that threshold uh, and so there are sort of in, improved primary mental health care services as well. Um, I think there are some groups that we need to do even more for. So um, people with personality disorders, you know, if they've committed a very high risk offence and if they've got a very severe disorder which is a minority they are likely to be in the offender personality disorder program which is sort of jointly run between the nhs and ministry of justice and yeah they get sort of great treatments there but the bulk of prisoners with personality aren't in that and i think they're they're a great unmet need there as i said previously there are some great examples you know islands of excellence in, in in some prisons doing great work great talking therapies you know adapting what what we do in the community and working with that particular group that's fantastic so um yeah so there's there's other improvements you know thinking about sort of um youth violence so uh, um, public health approaches around sort of knife crime and gang and gang related crime etc all of those you know taking the lessons learned in scotland where a lot of those ideas um in the uk at least have been developed and more broadly taking on that all of these and the the NHS and you know health services very much becoming a part of that so yeah vast there are lots of improvements and lots of things to celebrate
0: it's really encouraging to hear that Graham because um I mean as you say there is obviously a really long way to go and um by no means that any of us can be resting on our laurels anytime soon because um you've highlighted very clearly there all of the needs that um are yet to be met and the difficulties facing prison mental health care But it is encouraging to hear, for example, about the um, progress in the rollout of liaison and diversion services, because I know that's something that we've done a lot of work on over the past decades um, and a lot of uh, campaigning about to make that a reality. So that's really encouraging. You were talking about the investment needed in better care for people in prisons, but we have heard a lot recently in political rhetoric about the need for investment in bigger prisons, more prisons, more prison places. Um, I wonder if you want to. Uh, sort of bring us into land by commenting on that
1: for a moment yeah i mean uh, probably the direction we're moving in in terms of sort of prison sizes is is the wrong direction in in our view um i'm afraid small is beautiful when it comes to prisons if you want to successfully rehabilitate anyone you need to really build a relationship with that person that that models future relationships and that put in that, in that in that person's life and i think whilst there's an obvious attraction in bigger prisons, because you you might get savings through economies of scale, it's very difficult to deliver those sort of relationship-based services, um, and that's healthcare services, rehabilitation services. It's very difficult to do uh, it on a large scale um so yeah we'd like to see smaller prisons um and we'd like to see you know a better focus on rehabilitation and i think i think you need greater investment in, in smaller scale sort of establishments
0: graham just thank you so much for joining us today for giving us um a kind of crash course in uh mental health Um, among people in prison Um, there is so much more that we could say about this topic and we'll definitely have to have you on the podcast again Um, but for now I'll uh, link to this report in the show notes Um, yes and yeah thank you so much for your time
1: thanks Thea and thanks everyone for listening
0: really hope you enjoyed this episode and you can find out lots more about our work on mental health and criminal justice by visiting our website and to join us in the fight for equality in mental health Please donate at www.centerformentalhealth.org.uk forward slash donate. See you next time.